Greetings and welcome to an Odyssey into Oratory. I'm your grateful host, Dan Riley. The famed Spanish, Spanish novelist Miguel de Cervantes wrote one of the top fiction books of all time, Don Quixote. It was a two-part novel written ten years apart. So popular has the book been, there's only one other book in history that has been translated more often, and that's the Bible. The story is about Alonzo Quixano, who becomes so steeped in medieval romances, he loses his mind and decides he is going to become a knight-errant. He is determined to revive the nobility and chivalry of that bygone era. He recruits a simple farmer, Sancho Panza, as his squire, takes the name Don Quixote, and off they go, a knight and his squire, not only to serve their city of La Mancha, but Spain as well. Don Quixote does not process the world as it is, but as he would have it be. He's a medieval knight, after all. He perceives even the most mundane experiences as something requiring a chivalrous adventure. When Sancho points out windmills in the distance, Don Quixote must battle them because he sees ferocious giants. Once the giants are defeated, he collects the spoils and revels in his glory as a knight. Back when I was a young boy, there was an exceeding popular musical play, The Man of La Mancha, which was loosely adopted on Cervantes' book. The most popular song from that musical score was The Impossible Dream. At the time, I was a huge football fan and would watch every game that was on television. Back then, all pro football games were played on Sundays and CBS started their day's football broadcast with that song, The Impossible Dream, playing to the highlights of some of the greatest plays of the season. For example, while hearing the line, to try when your arms are too weary, you would see a corresponding replay of Joe Namath, Johnny Unitas, or Roman Gabriel completing a spectacular touchdown pass. Those two-plus minutes of television were the highlight of my week. Something about that song, coupled with the breathtaking athleticism, was inspiring to me, and it has stuck with me all these years. In fact, I still draw inspiration from that song today. Every one of us has experiences akin to this, and we ought to capture these experiences. In doing so, we are gathering a treasure trove of unique, powerful, and authentic rhetorical devices. If storytelling is a speaker's hammer, rhetorical devices are the nails. Why use tired, commonplace language and other cliches when we have an abundance of original and high-energy rhetoric buried within our own consciousness? Let me suggest a method for capturing these golden nuggets. Purchase a journal-type book to be used exclusively for the purpose of collecting what will become bulk data. And once sifted through, distilled, and in a continual process of reorganization, will yield you rhetorical devices of unparalleled power. By each individual standards, it should be a classy and durable journal. Cost should be of no consequence other than it should not be cheap or flimsy looking. This journal will prove to be something of extraordinary value over time, and you want its appearance to be a symbol of this great value. The late Jim Rohn, a speaker I often mention, showed a class of young children an empty leather-bound journal that he paid $26 for. One of the 
Kids asked, why would you pay money for an empty book? Jim said that the reason I pay $26 for an empty book is to challenge myself to find something worth $26 to put in it. Emerson wrote those facts, words, persons, which dwell in his memory without his being able to say why, remain because they have a relation to him, and not less real for being as yet unapprehended. Once we begin collecting all that dwell in our memories without us being able to say why, we can begin to apprehend what was once elusive. It doesn't need to be a perfectly organized book. It will be a continual, a continuous work in progress, perhaps even multiple books over time. Late in life, Roan claimed that his journals made up a large portion of his library. Okay, what to collect? I have found song lyrics are a great place to start. That would be number one. List all the songs you continue to listen to repeatedly over the years or even decades. Write the entire song or just those lyrics that are stuck in your mind. When using or rearranging these lyrics in, for speech passages, you will be using words that are highly charged for you. They'll possess an energy that enlivens you, an energy that audiences will most certainly pick up on. Number two, gather all the poems or the specific stanzas from poems that have had an emotional impact on you. Whether that emotion be inspiration, Sadness, euphoria, morose, motivating, or melancholy, or poetry that just makes you wonder. Any poem you find yourself reading year after year, collect. Number three, allocate ample space for your favorite words and phrases. We all have them. Here are some examples from my own book. Sotto voce, traduce, thundering, inscrutable, boondoggle, salubrious, gunslinger, and lickspittle. As for phrases, one brief shining moment. The westward wind, an amputated spirit, wolves at the door, the last best chance. Let time go lightly, whispers in the shadows. These are just a tiny fraction of all that I've collected, which includes scores and scores of pages, probably equal to several hundred, if not thousands of words and phrases. Number four, dialogues from favorite movies or plays. Elements of those dialogues that linger in memory long after the production's popularity has faded into the dim mists of time. For me, Al Pacino telling his players, life is a game of inches. We claw with our fingernails for those inches. Or as a blind man telling draconian school authorities at a boarding school of all the horrors he'd seen in war and out on the battlefields, there is nothing worse than the sight of an amputated spirit. Matthew McConaughey asking an all-white jury to close their eyes. And as he describes the unspeakable horrors endured by a black teenage girl at the hands of vicious races, then instructs the jury, now imagine she was white. Or Nicholson telling Tom Cruise, you can't handle the truth. Dialogue from movies have become such an enduring staple in our culture that it provides speakers and writers with rich rhetoric, preloaded with multidimensional meaning, especially when used as metaphors and, and analogies. Number five, Bible passages. If you are of the Christian faith, the Bible is the most popular book in the United States, and it has been for a long, long time. Include in your journal those phrases, chapters, and or verses that have been influential or instructive in your life. 
citations that have been on the tip of your tongue since your youth. If you're not of the Christian faith, the, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, the Torah, and other religious texts all serve as great resources for finding authentic rhetoric. And the last one, number six, quotations that you have noted, whether they are pinned in your mind or highlighted or flagged in books and other printed material you possess. Codify these quotes in your journal. I'll stop there. I trust that the concept is clear. What we are trying to capture are those words and phrases that stir in us a strong and powerful emotional resonance. Once enough data is collected, then we can begin to play and work with these words and phrases. Compose sonnets or poems using sets of lyrics from the different songs. Take phrases of your favorite adjective-noun combinations and swap them around. Use biblical adjectives to modify movie nouns. Create original ideas using a combination of partial movie dialogue with truncated song lyrics. Use words from multiple quotations to create original witticisms. Begin to include your favorite words and phrases in the social media you post. With these creative exercises, you'll be training yourself on how to create authentic linguistic devices. By using language that has, has long-standing resonance within you, your speeches or writing will have a richness that is sure to move audiences or and readers. Additionally, while each person is drawn to their own words, phrases, and concepts, these can also serve as a roadmap in discovering unconscious values, themes, or dreams yet to be discovered. The immortal Emerson wrote, A few anecdotes, a few traits of character, manners, face, a few incidents have an emphasis in your memory out of all proportion to their apparent significance, if you measure them by ordinary standards. They relate to your gift. Let them have their weight and do not reject them. What your heart thinks great is great. The soul's emphasis is always right. There's no point in me summing up what Emerson wrote. I can't say it any better. Suffice to say, all those words and phrases that you have stored in your mind over a lifetime have a profound significance for you. You ought to use them. One should not to attempt to gather all this information in a day or even a weekend. It should be a gradual and non-sequential process. And at some point, you'll reach the here and now. Then it's just a matter of maintaining this sacred body of words. In this collection, one has a goldmine of potential metaphors, soaring rhetoric, visual imagery, alliterations, along with many other ling linguistic devices. Because the language we've been drawn to has had an emphasis in our consciousness out of all proportion to their apparent significance, they wield incredible rhetorical power. A power not afforded to the speaker searching Google for popular quotations and phrases. When Mark Twain used maritime language, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sail, those words rang true. They have added power because he spent a good part of his life on the high seas. He owns those words and concepts. Mark Twain and a seafaring lifestyle are intertwined. Same with Martin Luther King when he used biblical phrasing. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low. 
And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. He would never have made the impact he did using that language unless it was true to him. And of course it was. He was a minister by training. We all have phrasing native to our constitutions. By consulting our own collection of precious words, we are accessing a unique library where all the words and phrases are charged with our own energy. If a famous quote by J.K. Rowling's or Jordan Peterson belongs to a speaker, there will be no need for a Google search. It will be in their journal. Okay, for my part, that's all there is. But before I sign off, if you found some value in this video, please hit the subscribe button, like, comment, and most of all, share this video so that I may grow this channel and YouTube's algorithms may shed their grace on me. This is Dan Riley taking you on an odyssey into oratory. Until next time, off the boat line, sail away from the sea. Catch the trade winds in your sails. We're on the move now.